Welcome to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. The Work of Art is a series of conversations with some of the world's leading writers, musicians, photographers, artists, and others discussing their creative process and their creative lives. Today's guest is author Rafael Iglesias, who writes in many different media. He is the author of 10 novels. His most recent is The Wisdom of Perversity. His previous novel, A Happy Marriage, won the 2009 Los Angeles Times Book Prize for fiction. He's also a screenwriter for television and movies. He was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award for his screenplay for the Johnny Depp thriller From Hell. Other screenplay adaptations he's written include Roman Polanski's movie Death and the Maiden and the 1998 film of Les Miserables starring Liam Neeson. Although he makes his home in New York City, Raphael joins us from Los Angeles, where he's spending the next few months working on season two of Aquarius, the NBC television series for which he is executive producer. Thanks very much for joining. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. It's remarkable. You've written original prose, adapted your own prose to screenplays, written original screenplays. You've got a producing role. You're probably cooking for the catering truck on set. Oh, God. (laughs) Much thanks. Uh, Luckily for them, I'm not. (laughs) But it's uh, an amazing range of writing. When you were growing up, you started as a novelist. Your parents are both novelists. Did you imagine yourself, when you got started, only writing in that medium? Or did you have ambitions to write in multiple media? No, I, uh, I imagined myself as only being a novelist. My parents, who had a even greater influence on me than most parents have on their children, um, were terrible snobs about writing for the movies. Uh, and even bigger snobs about television. So when I was young, I completely embraced their snobbery and uh, thought of myself as someone who would only be a novelist. When you made the transition and started first, I guess, adapting your own work for uh, performance, was there any uh, pushback or uh, raised eyebrows from, uh, from family and or friends? Um, actually, my first forays into screenwriting were with my half-brother, uh, Lewis Cole, who I was uh, uh, raised with, my mother, uh, the son from my mother's first marriage. And um, that was when I was pretty young, and it was done pretty cynically. I would say almost entirely cynically. I, had, I was married, um, my wife was pregnant, and I needed to make much more money than I was making as a novelist. And Lewis and I really embarked pretty cynically on pitching ideas in Hollywood for scripts. And that was really my introduction to the business. And my parents were pretty excited about it, which confused me. Um, But they were also snobbish about it. They were both pleased and excited, but regarded it as not serious writing, if that makes sense. I think that's sort of a a tradition going all the way back to Faulkner and even earlier of uh, great novelists getting engaged in the movie world for money and other reasons and trying to maintain distance while also immersing yourself in that bath of money. Yes, yeah, so that, that was sort of the general presumption of people of their generation about what I was doing. Um, but I noticed that they were actually, you know, that generation and my generation as well also had enormous love of going to the movies. So they, they were pretty excited as well. So I noticed there was some, there was some ambiguity, some confusion in their attitude. The other piece, the other reason why so many people are drawn to writing screenplays is beyond the money, just the notion, the amateur's notion that it's easier because they're, it's a primarily dialogue driven art form 
And a lot of writers think, ah, I don't need to worry about writing rich description and all the other elements that make a great novel. Um, obviously, that's not true, and yet it is a different art form. How did you find making that change? Uh, it was a, a, a rather long and difficult change, and there was a pretty long, for me anyway, learning process. Um, I was lucky. Uh, a friend of my brother's and I, uh, um, uh, when I first met him, and uh, he wasn't actually in the movie business, and later he became an agent, eventually was president of Warner Brothers, and then later a producer, a man named Mark Rosenberg. He was really responsible both for uh, my being able to get into the movie business at all. And, but even more importantly, was responsible for my education. It was, um, about 1977 or 78 when he first went to Hollywood as an agent and asked to represent one of my novels. And then later as a junior executive at Warner brothers, he, uh, because this was well before there was <laughs> the internet or, uh, DVDs or, or even VCRs, he um, offered to keep uh, to open the Warner Brothers screening room in New York to us uh, once or twice a week and screen any movie in the Warner's vault. And he offered as well to send the first draft uh, of those movies to us as well to read. And if we did that for a year and pitched him a good idea, he said he would give us a deal in the business. And that it really wasn't a year. It was about six or seven months of watching movies and reading the first drafts, which were very, very different than the final shooting scripts is really the beginning of how I learned to be a screenwriter. And then it took years and years of work, really, before I understood all the differences between writing novels and writing screenplays. What a remarkable gift. That's an unaccidental education and a, kind of a boot camp that most people would never have access to. Yeah, I'm very grateful to Mark, who unfortunately died uh, quite young in, uh, in 1991. And, uh, but yeah, I'm very grateful to him for having done that. It's such a collaborative art form. So you saw the beginning and then the end, as it were, of a screenplay to movie. Now that you're involved in that process, both with movies and television, uh, is the process of taking notes comfortable for you? Uh, I don't really believe anybody if they who says they like taking notes. No, sir. <laughs> I mean, maybe you can. They maybe they can be okay for you, but liking taking them it seems odd. Notes vary enormously in quality, and they vary also enormously based on who is giving them to you and why. Often notes are given by uh, business side people, by creative, so-called creative executives at studios and television, out of a kind of nervousness, um, not out of their own personal taste or their sense of what they think it should be, but rather their fear of what the market, how the market might react. Those kinds of notes are difficult to to you know, really to evaluate. The most useful notes to me in some ways are the most unsophisticated, just from people telling me whether they like something or don't. Um, I actually find those more helpful. Usually, for me, even with novels, the most helpful thing is to have a series of readers, usually different kinds of people, um, tell me how they react to a piece of work. And I don't pay that much attention to their specific suggestions. What I do is I notice where it is that they find problems in what I've done. If four or five people have a problem in the same general area of a script or a novel, um, then I assume there's something wrong in that area, even if their specific notes or suggestions don't make sense to me. And I take a look at it and make some kind of change, even if it isn't ex exactly the change they're asking for. That's why I, as an agent and so many others, are 
adamant that authors uh, are in a writing group or getting some kind of broad systematic feedback. Because to exactly your point, no one person's feedback might be right. But if you're starting to hear the same thing, they all still might be wrong, but that's probably not the case. Right, exactly. You are a collaborator by definition in the screenwriting world. Um, have you been in any formal collaborations when you're writing your novels? Are you getting feedback during the process, or do you wait till you have a full first draft to show it to anybody? Um, I usually, before I finish writing a full first draft, there are only a few people I show it to, usually other writers who I trust a great deal. Um, I don't show it to a wider group until I have at least a draft. Uh, that's really because I do want to have a reaction I'm, as a novelist, I'm relative to most modern novelists, pretty story driven. And it's important to me that someone have a sense of the entire story before I get a, a reaction to them, unless, to it, unless they're writers themselves. Um, so it's a small group at first. And then when I'm done with the draft, I'll go to a much wider group and try to find as wide a, a range of people so that I can get a sense of, of more than one as I said earlier, than just one idiosyncratic reaction. And then the exciting part is if everyone converges and you end up with a finished screenplay for TV or movies, you end up going to shooting. Uh, what has your experience been once the actual filming has started? Are you involved? Are you continuing to edit? Or is it really out of your hands by that point? Uh, on all of my feature films, I was fortunate that my directors wanted me to stay involved throughout the process of shooting and even post. So there has been work. Um, there always is. Uh, the, uh, the making of, um, uh, of any television show or any feature film is really the art of the possible. Things happen um, that are unexpected. Uh, they can be from events in nature or they can just be uh, things that actors add or can't quite handle. Um, there's, there's all sorts of things that come up. And if you're wise, I think, as a writer you don't get upset about them so much as you try to figure out if there's anything you can do to take advantage of what someone has brought that you didn't expect or can in some way diminish the harm that's being caused. It's a difficult transition for novelists usually because a novelist has complete control. The line, the dialogue is always perfect. The scenery is always perfect. There are no budget problems about changing uh, uh, where you are. Um, or temperamental lead characters. Or temperamental lead characters, or anything. Uh, you know, you're, you're living in a completely abstract world. The only limitation, sadly, is your own talent. But in features and in television, you really, if you're wise, you really do have to adjust to what, what's going on in front of you. It's easier in television because television writer-producers automatically have control and authority. So if you get into a situation where there's a real conflict, uh, between, let's say, budget, director, actor, and it has to be resolved one way or another, that resolution is up to you, the final decision. Um, it's a little more frustrating in features because that final decision can shift depending on the power that either the director, the actor, or the studio is exerting. And power is not absolute on any film project. They move around based on various other elements. So as a writer on a feature film, you have to really learn to be a kind of diplomat either a diplomat or a manipulator or a psychologist or something. But you, you have to handle the personalities differently than you do in television. Managing from behind, as Obama has put it. Yes, exactly. Or leading from behind, I should say. 
And that's a difference. Interestingly, so many movies have incorporated the sad sack screenwriter as a character. I'm thinking uh, maybe of the stuntman, the Steve Railsback, Peter O'Toole movie, sure. where there's the uh, the schlubby guy in the corner who's the screenwriter who's interpreting what's going on for everybody, knows the realities, and is gently trying to nudge the uh, super tanker in the right direction. Um, but to your point, especially in this era of blockbuster, long-form television, those are much more writer-driven uh, mediums, uh, outlets. Yes. I mean, the showrunner of a television show, uh, depending on his or her personality, really determines how it's going to go. It's very, it's, it's very determined by them. And they are, of course, almost invariably writers. So uh, it's very different in that sense. And uh, frankly, I think it works better um, because... At the end of the day, no matter how creative a film director is, the film director is an interpretive artist, not a creative artist. He's doing, he or she is doing a different job than the person who thought up the story. That's why I think the best feature films are usually the product of writer-directors, because there you have both the interpretive artist and the, create, and the originating artist united in a single person. The real notion of an auteur. Yes, exactly. In, it, without that, it isn't truly an auteur. And in television, you get much closer to that because the writer-producer really is in control of, um, of the overall shape, look, tone of the work from beginning to end. The writers, the directors of each episode, the actors, they come and go, but that one supervising vision is really, um, really does unite uh, the originating idea and, and its interpretation. That difference between working collaboratively on screenplay and then filming versus writing the novel by yourself. I heard a funny line from a friend who's uh, a writer talking about the new movie Inside Out from Pixar, mm -hmm. who said, oh, that girl's head, that's just a writer's room. It's the writer's room we all have in our own heads. And the only difference with TV is there's the writer's room made out real in the real world. Right. Yes. Well, it's, you know, the, I, the loneliness, the isolation, the solitude of being a novelist is very different from being um, a television writer and even from being a feature film writer. Um, I think that's the, that's both the pleasure of writing novels and what makes them so difficult. Um, I mean, the pleasure is, is that you really are in almost complete control. Eventually you have to deal with what your agent thinks and what your editor thinks and eventually what reviewers and so on think, but you're the amount of control you have is extraordinary. Um, it's just not true in features or even in television. It's not just a question of power. It's that so many other people's work and abilities are involved that inevitably there's a kind of loss of control. But the pleasure of it is that you have all these other people to work with, many of whom bring things to it that you can't bring yourself. Um, you also aren't as lonely, <laughs> to tell you the truth. And the rap parties are a lot of fun. The rap parties are a lot of fun. Everything about it is a lot of fun. It's uh, the best thing for me about going um, from being a novelist to working in features or TV is that, you know, when I want to work alone, I can work on a novel. When I want to work with others, I can, I can, I can go back and forth. And the combination has been very good for me because there are periods in my life where I really do want to have as much control and be solitary. And there are periods in my life where I really want to work with other people and and get their contributions. And part of the difference, I would assume, for you is that in your novels, most of them are written very close to your own life, so that you're working through your own experience in a way that, for example, with Aquarius, you know, you weren't living in Charlie Manson's house in, in the hills, uh, whereas in your novels, you write very movingly, but obviously very closely about your experience with your wife and your family growing up and so on. Um, yes, my... 
some of my novels, uh, about four of them, have been very directly autobiographical novels. And all of my novels, of course, are drawn either from things I've experienced or people close to me I have experienced. But to be honest with you, when I, in almost every case when I'm writing something, if I can't find a personal connection, then it's very difficult for me to write it at all. Um, even in Aquarius, I was, because I was born in 1954 and I dropped out of high school when I was 15 and I was cutting school when I was 13 and 14. A lot of the events of 1967 and 1968 and 1969 were quite important to me. And uh, the Black Panthers, the student unrest, um, all those things. I, so there are ways for me to write even a show like Aquarius that feel personal. And, and in fact, if I can't really find some kind of analogy or some kind of uh, way in which what I'm writing about is about my experience and my feelings, I don't do a very good job of writing it at all. In some ways, from the writing business side of things where I work, it's the cryptus you need to operate between. One is writing it so true to life that real life has its boring ports mm -hmm. and uninteresting characters. And we often get memoirists whose work is definitely true for them, but not interesting to strangers to read. Mm -hmm. uh, versus if you, as you're saying, if you don't know at least something or feel something that relates to what you're writing about, it's not going to have that spark of, of uh, life to it that's necessary as well. Right. I, it's true. I mean, I write very autobiographically, but only when I think what's happened to me is actually interesting. <laughs> um, and I've never written a memoir, frankly, because I don't think anything that's happened to me, if it were reported exactly as it happened, would be interesting. I still want to shape it, to to give it um, an imagined point of view, if if one could argue that, it, that it's imagined and disagree with what actually did, what I think actually occurred. So for me, even the most autobiographical of my work is shaped and there are things in it that aren't accurate reportage. You teach screenwriting. You've taught at NYU and Emerson and maybe some other places as well. So obviously you think it can be taught. How has the process of teaching screenwriting affected your own work in that medium? All of my teaching has come very recently, and so I can't honestly say it's affected it very much. Um, a lot of screenwriting is craft in, um, in a way that I think can be taught. Um, there are very specific rules that come out of the practicality of making feature films. Their length, um, the demands of, uh, because movies are so expensive to make, the demands you know you're going to encounter from not only the people who finance them, but people who direct and star in them. Um, a lot of that can be taught and talked about, although I think that's easy to teach and really wasn't what I mostly wanted to teach. Um, what I was hoping to teach, and I'm not sure I was able to do it, were ways in which you can bring to such a almost mechanical craft a part of your own experience of the world so that it stands out. I mean, a lot of screenwriting, of course, is just about doing sequels to uh, superhero movies. Um, but that's not something you really need to teach. What I was really hoping to do was to find for some of, uh, for some of my very young students a way for them to bring into this, you know, very structured form uh, a part of themselves, a part of their own experience, and yet keep it, still keep it interesting to an audience. I'm really not sure that I was able to teach that, to tell you the truth. Um, I think teaching is much harder than just writing. 
you are someone, whether it's film TV or for your novels, that at a certain point you need to step out, the work is done, and you need to promote it. Is that a process you enjoy? Do you, uh, there's a performance aspect of it. Do you like talking about your work after it's finished? I'm the opposite. What's the, what's the quote? I like having written. I'm the opposite. I like having talked about my work. I don't like talking about my work. And I much prefer writing it. Um, I, I've always found the marketing and promotion of uh, that, especially the novelists are asked to do, to be kind of, uh, you know, kind of embarrassing and, and definitely a waste of time. There's also that phenomenon, I find, when you talk about, I, I try to speak very, quite honestly about my life and about my work, but I find that if you say the same thing, even though it's true, three or four times, it begins to sound like a lie. <laughs> and um, so I've always found, I've actually always found marketing and promotion of my work to be um, really uncomfortable. Have you ever stepped in uh, a puddle, as it were, by accident? And because so much of your writing is drawn from your own life, that also means you're revealing things about the people around you, uh, whether in promoting or in the writing itself. Have uh, you ever had folks who say, oh, I wish you hadn't said that publicly because it's clear that that is about me? Um, no, uh, I guess it's kind of surprising I haven't because I've written some very frank work. I, but I was raised by two novelists. Uh, both of whom were very clear to me that it had been harmful to them worrying about what other people would say, even people that were close to them. Um, so I understood very young that if you want to write well, you have to, in a way, be a bit of a sociopath about it. You have to not care what you do to your own reputation or to the people who you know. I know that sounds, <laughs> that sounds, I know that sounds a little heartless. But there's no other way to write truthfully. If, you're worry, if you begin to worry about what someone might think or might feel, that's, an, that's really, an, that's, there's an infinite no, number of ways of worrying about that. And it, it would never come to an end. You really would, in the end, you wouldn't be able to write a single word if you worried. So while I write, I don't worry about how anyone else will feel. As soon as I'm done writing, I worry about it all the time. But, I, but the minute I sit down to write, I just become... Uh, I really do become a sociopath. I just don't care what it does to me or, or to anyone else. It's, I guess, the corollary, corollary to Janet Malcolm's comments about what a journalist must do to betray her subjects to actually be a good journalist. Yes, there is, although I at least morally think there's a difference between... Uh, when I, the reason I publish even my most autobiographical work as fiction is to admit to the world that it's just my point of view and that it isn't the truth. Uh, it's also the reason I've stayed away from calling any, even my most autobiographical work a memoir. It's because I just don't think it is the truth. It's simply my perception. And in some cases, it's my desire to make my life into a story um, that's interesting and that, um, and that expresses how I feel. That just isn't the truth. Um, so I have to say, I think she's wrong to allow herself as a journalist to do that. A journalist is saying to the reader, this is the truth. These are the facts. Um, and that's very different than what a novelist, even an autobiographical novelist, is asserting. Your point of view sounds very mature and magnanimous in a way that most authors don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. um, did that come from growing up in a family where writing was the family business and in turn raising two sons who went on to become writers themselves? 
Well, actually, I think it was just the experience of being the child of two novelists. I, my mother and father uh, both wrote novels when I was quite young, in which it was clear to me that they were writing about, even though they called them novels, that they were really writing about people I knew or even myself. And I saw that both of them, often writing about similar experiences and similar people, produced very different scenes and very different points of view about them. And so I learned quite early in a in a really in a very practical way, that point of view is just not objective. Um, and that especially when a novelist is creating drama out of their lives, they're not reproducing reality. They're not reporters. It's, it was also helpful to me later as a, as a screenwriter when working with directors who had very strong points of view about how a scene should be done. I learned pretty young that you can write almost any scene really well several ways. <laughs> Um, it depends on whether you believe in the point of view. Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. It's not. I'm not sure it's with maturity. It's just I understood from the experience of being raised by two writers that that it's it, it's really idiosyncratic. It's really a point of view, and that if you present it to people as the truth, you're kidding yourself. It, it isn't. It's it's what you think and feel. It's not the truth. You know, for me, the problems of of writing don't have to do so much with. Uh, the real world. They have to do with the amount of time and patience one has to have about rewriting. Um, I think this is different for, for different writers. I, there are writers I know who rewrite too much. <laughs> but I've always been a writer who's too eager to get my work out there. And as a result, for a lot of my career, I suffered from simply not going over my work carefully enough and not... Um, really questioning some of my original assumptions. It, it varies tremendously from writer to writer. Uh, so I think for me, mostly the craft of writing, had, most of the improvement in my work has come from learning to have a certain kind of patience about not getting my work out there, not submitting it to people, but rather going over it myself um, a couple of times to make sure that I haven't rushed anything, that I haven't um, failed to address something. Um, and that I improve it as much as possible before I get it out there. So it's really patience that I've had to learn in the craft of writing. Since there's obviously wisdom in writing and in books, and you've done some teaching, do you have any recommendations for students either of screenwriting or of novel writing in terms of books that uh, would help them with their craft? Oh, I think actually a lot of good books on craft, quite a few, um, all it isn't, I don't, and I think everyone's sort of aware of that. What I think most young writers are not aware of is how important it is to just write. Uh, you learn an enormous amount by writing. You learn what you can do easily, and you learn what you can't do easily. Um, and it's important to try to do the things you can't do easily. Uh, <laughs> it's very important that you do a lot of that when you're young, because once you begin to publish, there'll be a lot of pressure both as a screenwriter and as a novelist, there'll be a lot of pressure to continue to do what you've done successfully. And it becomes hard then to grow and learn in areas that are not so easy for you. Um, so I often ask my students to write a first draft very, very quickly, no matter how badly it comes out. Because I think learning to write a lot is in, in itself a great teaching mechanism. The craft stuff, I think, is, is easier to find out. What's harder to find out is where you're strong and where you're weak, where you're frightened to go as a writer and where you go too easily. 
And that I think you can only learn yourself by writing a lot. The challenge, of course, is, as you say, fending off the folks who want, whether it's a, a bug in yourself or people outside of you who want you to be delivering sooner than a work might be ready. Um, thinking of your agent or others who have a financial interest in your writing, that there's pressure to, oh, this draft is good enough, let's go sell it. Uh, has that been um, a challenge for you? Um, no, what was a challenge for me was that I was broke all the time for decades. And so I had, I, there was a lot of pressure internally for me to get it out there and, and make a deal. Um, and then of course that's true from everybody else as well. Um, also what you get a lot of pressure on, and it's been a problem for me because I like to write different kinds of subjects and material. There's, there's a real tendency nowadays because of, I guess our consumer culture, um, to really create a brand in your writing and to stick to it. Um, it, you know, what we used to call typecasting in, in Hollywood, uh, for actors. And that I think is a, is a real problem and struggle for me that there's so much resistance to changing the kind of writing you're doing, the kind of subject matter, even the tone and, and so on. That, that I think has been in terms of the outside world, the most difficulty and pressure I've gotten. I have a number of clients who wrestle with that. As you say, they're known for something. They've got a devoted audience for something. And the challenge for an artist is, can I bring my audience with me as my own work changes and morphs and reflects where I am at that stage of my life? Yeah, I mean, I really think the way, uh, the way books are sold and the way movies and TV writers are handled, that's become especially true, uh, particularly in the last 15, 20 years. I mean, it's, to me, it's quite different than when I was a young novelist. When I was a young novelist and when my parents were novelists, it was much more about a writer having a long career and trying many different things. Whereas now they really, really the marketplace pushes novelists into writing the same kind of novel over and over. Are there other writing media or outlets you'd like to write for next? Are you uh, planning a YA novel or something else? <laughs> I probably won't write in any other media, but I'm a little sorry that I never wrote for the theater. But I'm too old to serve another apprenticeship. And my experience has been that each form is different enough so that it, it takes a while, at least for me, to, to understand all the differences and get them down. And I'm, I'm a little too old to try to start to do that with, uh, with say, theater. I won't call you on that. Just time will tell if you're in fact right or if you're being far too modest. But uh, thank you so much for joining. Today's guest has been author Raphael Iglesias. He's a screenwriter and a novelist. His most recent novel is The Wisdom of Perversity. He's currently in Los Angeles working on season two of the NBC television series Aquarius. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, thank you, Ted. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and will listen to many more. Our theme music is by Mental99 and used with their kind permission. A production of Ted Weinstein Literary Management, this has been The Work of Art. <laughs>